Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. God bless. Brother Finch is coming for our lesson. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be in church today. Uh, thank you for standing and worshiping. You can be seated. We're going to go into um, part three of our series that we've called Inside Out. And pastor taught the first two. And, uh, and I'm going to be taking the last two lessons in this series and uh, this is a series on holiness, and we're talking about inward and outward holiness. And one of the things that Pastor has, has been stressing throughout this entire series is that holiness begins on the inside, and then it moves from the inward to the outward. And the example that we often use, it's, uh, it's very true. Uh, if, you, if you feel love for someone on the inside that love is going to express itself outwardly. And you would never say that uh, if you're treating someone horribly, uh, you could never honestly tell that person that you love them with any sincerity because love moves from the inside to the outside. It becomes an outward expression. And so it is with holiness. When we have a, when we have a godly heart, when we have a godly inward life, that that godliness that resides on the inside begins to express itself outwardly. And so all of this works together. It's inside out. And, uh, and so I want to look at a few things today. And here I want to set this up the right way. I'm not uh, intending to prove every point that I'm going to make. I'm going to be talking about a lot of things over the next two lessons. And uh, in the past, uh, I've, I've tried to give all the scriptures and, and, and convince you that everything I'm saying is 100% biblically true and accurate. And the problem with doing that in this particular lesson is that uh, I could spend 36 lessons doing that, and I'm trying to condense it down to two. So what I've done, as we move through these slides, you'll see that I've given you scripture references, and uh, you can write them down, and you can go back and study it yourself uh, you can talk to me, ask questions. You can always approach uh, myself or our pastor, and we can talk through some of these things. But what I'm intending to do today is to give you the position of this church, the position of the leadership, the ministry of this church, and, of course, the position of the United Pentecostal Church uh, that we're a part of. And so you'll notice that I'm, I'm giving you information and I'm telling you things that I take for granted to be biblically true and accurate, but I'm not going to pause and uh, try to prove them all to you scripturally. Uh, we've, done, we've done that with many of these things in the past uh, and we'll continue to do so, but my intention is to show you where we stand. And uh, the first slide I want to take you to is uh, a little explanation of what I believe is the tears of any biblical teaching, but specifically holiness teaching. Everyone said three tiers, three tiers of holiness teaching. And I put them in order. And the first one is explicit biblical commands. Did you know that the Bible does give explicit commands about many things? For example, and I gave you a little example there, thou shalt not commit adultery. How many understand that that is a, a command? There's no wiggle room there. There's nothing... Uh, there's nothing that you can really uh, do to get around that. Uh, there are many things that Scripture teaches uh, very emphatically. For example, 
the scripture is very clear about lying. Lying is, uh, is uh, intensely prohibited in scripture. And Jesus was very serious about lying and uh, talked about it many times. And so those uh, are, are explicit commands. There's not much gray area there. And there's really not much room for argument. Now, that doesn't mean that people don't break these commands. They do. It doesn't mean that people don't uh, want to argue with it. Oftentimes, people do. But the scripture is extremely clear. But then we move to the second tier of holiness teaching, and that is implicit biblical principles. For example, and I I often uh, find that people are surprised when when you see this, but uh, scripture doesn't talk about Drugs, for example, because they didn't have a meth problem in Bible days. There wasn't a cocaine problem in Bible days. Scripture doesn't talk about pornography because there was no pornography problem in Bible days. And so for people who are looking for an explicit command, uh, an exact wording, a verbiage that says thou shalt not view pornography, you're not going to find that in Scripture because uh, that wasn't an issue in Bible days. But We do have principles in the word of the Lord that are very, very clear that we should abstain from these kinds of things. The scripture is clear that our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, and we're going to talk about that later. And so uh, we we don't misuse our temple with drugs. And furthermore, we don't want to take our our bodies to a place to where we are controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit. How many are thankful for the Holy Ghost in your life? And so we want, to be, we want to be walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. And anything that alters our personality, that alters our thinking, uh, that puts us out of our right minds would not be a godly thing to do. So, but these are not explicit principles. These are implicit biblical principles. And we find this about many things in Scripture, including the way we dress, the way we talk, the way we live. And when you are sincere... When you approach the Bible sincerely and say, I want to know what God would have me to do, there are many principles in Scripture that govern our lives. And uh, it would be unwise and it would certainly be disingenuous to approach Scripture and say that the only way that I'll refrain from doing something or abstain from doing something is if the Bible gives me an explicit command that tells me exactly one, two, three, four, don't do this or that. Uh, for one thing, the Bible would be, uh, would be taller than this platform if that were the case. But how many want to obey the word of the Lord, its principles and its explicit commands, all of it together? We understand this is true. Now, third, we have what I call culturally driven church standards and traditions. Now, these are things that, uh, that the church has historically taken a stand against or perhaps as culture changes. Um, we, the church decides that we're going to distance ourselves from what the culture is doing. And, uh, and the church has a right to do that. Now, if you have an issue with that, uh, I'd have to do an entire lesson on uh, the biblical principle. And by the way, it is a biblical principle that we're to obey them that have the rule over us. And that's specifically talking about the ministry. It says, for they watch for your souls. So that's talking about ministry. If you have uh, a minister, if you have a church that is looking after your soul, caring for your soul, then the church has a responsibility, an obligation to say, this is a danger zone, and we're going to set a standard for your safety, for your protection. Parents understand this instinctively. My kids are, are getting a little bit older now, so it's not 
Uh, it's not as serious as it used to be, but there are rules in my house for my kids that they know these are absolute rules. And, and then there are times when a rule, a standard needs to be set in the home because there's an extenuating circumstance. For example, uh, not too long ago, I uh, had an issue where in, in the backyard, uh, there was a dangerous spot in the backyard. A fence had broken, uh, and there was barbed wire everywhere, and my daughter had cut her leg on it. She'd been playing in the backyard, and she'd got a pretty deep cut on her leg. And so typically, I had no problem with the kids just running around in the backyard doing whatever they wanted to do, but I had to, because there was a dangerous spot there, and the, the problem with it is it was hard to see. It was covered over with brush, and you could be playing out there, and before you know it, you could be tangled up in barbed wire. So I had, to, I had to go tape it off. I had to put a little deal around it, and I had to tell the kids, listen, you can play anywhere you want, but you need to stay away from the spot that I've just, that's what we call a standard. And so the church does this as well. Sometimes we see a danger spot in culture, or we see a, a particular association that the church says, we're not going to be associated with the way culture is moving right now. And so we're going to cordon this area off for the safety of the church and for the people of God. Uh, you know, by the way, not to, I don't want to get on a candy stick, but when you live in a culture where people are wondering if, uh, if it's even right or wrong to say that there's a such thing as men and women, how many know we're living in a culture that's confused like that today? It's more and more necessary for the church to say, listen, we have, we have standards because God has ordained that men and women were created distinctly, uniquely, and in the image of God. And so the church is going to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to maintain the godly distinctions that God intended for us to have. How many think that's a good thing for the church to do? And so sometimes the church sets a culturally driven standard. And God has given the ministry the prerogative. In fact, God has mandated that ministry do this. Uh, it would be an unloving minister, an unloving pastor who didn't care enough for the saints to be willing to say, I see danger, and so we're going to set a standard against this. And by the way, the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a what? A standard against the enemy. Sometimes when the enemy's coming in like a flood and you feel like you're losing, it's because you have not maintained a standard. You need to let the Lord raise up a standard in your life so that you can overcome the onslaught of the enemy. I think that'd be a good place to say amen. All right, so a couple examples here is the ministry has an obligation to set standards of modesty, such as sleeve length and things of that nature. We'll talk about that later. Abstaining from beards, that's something that our church has taken a stand against for cultural reasons that have to do with uh, ministers and churches who have left the ministry and left the things of God. And it always begins with the distinction of beards, uh, and we'll talk more about that later on. Even though the scripture does not specifically prohibit beards, and, uh, and we have taken a stand against that for culturally, culturally relevant reasons within the church because we want to distinguish ourselves as people who are standing up for the things of God. Amen? All right, I'm going to take you to the next slide. Now, we're going to look at express biblical commands. Let me see how much time I have. Everyone breathe. I know it's a little heavy today. Breathe deep. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Tell them it's all good. It's all good. Smile at them. 
Smile at them. All right. Three or four of you smile. Okay. Number one, we're going to look at express holiness commands. And this, I've categorized them into 14 categories. We won't get through all of them today. But number one is holiness of attitude. Everyone said attitude. Holiness of attitude. And I've given you scripture references here. We could have put many more, but this is a starting point for you. Holiness of attitude puts away hatred, wrath, envy, jealousy. By the way, a lot of people who dress righteously struggle with envy and jealousy. Did you know that envy and jealousy will destroy you on the inside? And it doesn't matter how holy you are on the outside if you're full of filth on the inside. This was the issue that Jesus had with the, the Pharisees, by the way. Uh, the Pharisees were, were righteous outwardly, and Jesus never criticized their outward righteousness. In fact, Jesus affirmed their outward righteousness. He said, you need to do what they're doing and more. The issue with the Pharisees is not that they were outwardly righteous. Many critics of, of holiness and standards and, and people who uh, try to dress modestly and things of that nature, many critics will say, well, that's pharisaical, and that's not true. Jesus wanted us to be outwardly righteous. The issue that Jesus had with Pharisees is that inwardly they were unholy. Inwardly they were unrighteous. They were full of greed. They were full of rebellion. They were full of hatred. They were full of pride. They were arrogant. All of these things are unholy. And so this is why we've called this series Inside Out, because it does not matter if you're outwardly righteous, if you're inwardly filthy. And you cannot be inwardly righteous and outwardly unrighteous at the same time. Everybody okay? So this is the, the command of Scripture that we have a holy attitude, because holiness by definition really is to be more and more like the Lord. God said, be ye holy as I am holy. And so we're, the, the process of holiness or sanctification is to become more and more like the Lord. And we cannot be like the Lord if we're full of jealousy, greed, lust, bitterness, malice, pride. Everyone said pride. This is what got humanity into the trouble we're in today. Because Lucifer was filled with pride. He was filled with jealousy towards God. Uh, here's an important one. If you are full of prejudice or racism, you cannot be holy unto the Lord. Be a good place to say amen. If you're full of contentiousness, discord, selfishness, dissension, brawling, which is kind of an old King James word for if you're constantly on the verge of a fight, if you're constantly argumentative, if you're constantly murmuring, complaining, if you're full of rebellion, if you have a critical spirit, look at your neighbor and say a critical spirit. If you have a, constantly have a bitter, critical spirit, you cannot be holy before the Lord. Now, this hits a little bit home. I know y'all want me to talk about sleeves and modesty, and we're going to do that. But we can't go there until we first understand that if you are full of a judgmental, rebellious, critical, mean spirit, none of the other things we're about to talk about matter at all. Because, in fact, you have destroyed your testimony of holiness. I see this often. I see people who dress modestly, but they destroy their testimony because inwardly they are full of venom. And the church needs to be a loving, godly people with attitudes that draw people to be like the Lord. How many want to be like the Lord? 
Our attitude should be different from the world. Our attitude should be something that draws people to us, that draws people to the spirit of God that is dwelling inside of us. James said, here's how you'll know that you really are the children of God. You'll know by the way that you love one another, the way you love one another. The the first test of holiness is going to be your ability to love your brother and your sister in the Lord. If you can't love one another, then you cannot be like the Lord at all. How many believe we ought to love one another? We ought to reach out to one another. We ought to have a proper attitude with one another. And so this begins on the inside. These are matters of the heart that we have to deal with before God. And thankfully, the Holy Ghost gives us the power to be changed from how we really are internally as human beings. We're finite, broken human beings, but the Holy Ghost gives us the power to change. So if you used to be a liar, the Holy Ghost can change you. If you used to be bitter, the Holy Ghost can change you. If you used to be uh, constantly offended and full of venom, the Holy Ghost can change you. Amen? All right, next slide. We're going to go to two. This is holiness of thought. So we're still on the inside. Uh, We're on the inward parts of holiness here. Take us to the next slide, brother, if you can. Holiness of thought. And I've given you some scripture references here. And all holiness begins in what we often call the heart and the mind. We use these interchangeably sometimes. Uh, I, I think that the mind is biblically is the sense of, of where we have reason, and the heart is our, the seat of our emotions. Uh, and in our minds is where the battle is won and lost for the things of God. Every battle in your life takes place in your mind before it manifests itself outwardly. And so if you're struggling with hatred, for example, many times people struggle with hatred for a long time before it turns into something outwardly ugly. People, people are thinking on things that cause them to grow more and more angry. Everything that we do in, in our life begins in the mind. If, you have, if you're struggling with lust, for example, that lust begins in your mind before it ever turns into an action, before it ever turns into a flirtation, before it ever turns into an affair. It begins as a thought in your mind. And you have to capture your thoughts. The Bible teaches that that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. In other words, we take captive, Scripture says, or we literally take our thoughts captive. Did you know the Holy Ghost can help you take your thought life captive? Now, I know this seems impossible because we live in a culture rampant with pornography. and, uh, And we really do live in a time where even psychologists say that it's not possible for men and women to control their thought life. You just have to let your thought life run free, have a healthy fantasy life, and, uh, and they say that's harmless. Even though studies show that a, an unhealthy fantasy life, whatever it may be, will eventually spill over into real life and begin to destroy your relationships. It begins to destroy your ability to think clearly, to think effectively, and to think rightly. And you can, through the power of the Holy Ghost, take captive your thought life. This would be a good place for a man to say amen. You can take your thought life captive. And so this is what Scripture says. We're to think on things that are true, honest, noble, just, right, pure, lovely, 
reputable, excellent, virtuous, praiseworthy. All of these things are things that we are to think on. And so when, when your mind begins to wander to places that you know are unhealthy, ungodly, unrighteous, you take those thoughts captive. Let me give you, this is a different Bible study altogether, but let me give you a little, little help on how to take your thought life captive. We need to go back to having Christians that believe in the power of prayer. And oftentimes when you're struggling to take your thoughts captive, it's because your prayer life is struggling. If you're only praying on Sundays, then you don't have a prayer life. Prayer will take you to a place with God when you're struggling with your thoughts where you say, Lord, I want you to help me take my thoughts captive. Lord, help me to take authority over everything that's coming against my heart and my mind. My emotions are messed up. My mind is messed up. When you feel that taking you over, take it to the Lord in prayer. By the way, Scripture also says, this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Uh-oh, now we're really in dangerous territory. No one's going to say man now. But sometimes, and uh, I often counsel men in this area. You know, men struggle with their thought life more than women do, although studies show that because culture is changing so much, women are catching up to men. Women are using pornography now more than ever before in the history of pornography, and they're catching up to men, and this is creating all kinds of problems in our culture uh, that men, had already, men have already been messed up in this area for a long time. And by the way, it's rampant in churches as well, and it's displeasing to God. And so I often tell people that if you're really struggling with your thought life, you need to have a time of prayer and fasting. Fasting helps you to crucify your flesh. That's why we don't like it. Uh, I like to eat. Anybody like to eat? I'm, I, I think everyone in this room, we're healthy. We like to eat. I like to eat, and so it's hard for me to not eat. It's, it's difficult. And uh, in fact, I don't even like water. If I could drink Coke Zero every day all the time, that's all I'd ever do. But sometimes you need to push those things away because it causes you to crucify your flesh and it gives you an authority over things that you enjoy, and it helps you to have strength in ways that you would not have without fasting. That's why God gave us fasting, because it is, uh, it's a spiritual muscle enhancer. It causes us to grow spiritually. And so if you're struggling with your thought life, you need to have a, a daily time of prayer where you take it to the Lord. Be honest with God. You know, sometimes we're dishonest with God about our thoughts. We think he doesn't know because we're ashamed, maybe, and so we never talk to God about it. But did you know that God knows your thoughts? God knows your thoughts. And so you can be honest with God about your inward struggles, because he already knows. And you'll find that when you begin to talk to the Lord about your inward struggles, he'll help you, and he'll respond to you, and he'll give you strength over those things. Okay, next slide, number three. I've got to move quickly. These are express biblical commands. And number three is the tongue. The tongue or holiness of our speech, holiness in our words. Holiness abstains from gossip. Holiness abstains from gossip, from gossip, from gossip. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> it does. It abstains from gossip, lying, slander, sowing discord, swearing by oath. Using the Lord's name in vain. By the way, this is a tremendous problem. I'm always amazed. You know, Scripture is, is, uh, is timeless, and it's living. 
And you have all these scriptures about taking the Lord's name in vain and not to use the Lord's name flippantly and all of these things. And it's, it's fascinating to me that thousands of years later, the number one curse word in America is the name of the Lord. Is that amazing? That's amazing to me that the name of the Lord would be the most used curse word in America today. Scripture has never been more relevant than it is right now. But people who love the Lord, we don't use God's name flippantly. We certainly don't use it as a byword because it's the name that is above every name. It's the name that we were baptized in. It's the name that sets us free. It's the name that breaks chains. It's the name that we call on in the time of trouble. It's the ever-present help. It's a tower that we can run into. It's the rock that we can stand on. His name gives us his name gives us power. His name gives us comfort. And so we use his name respectfully. Uh, we also are to refrain from idle words, prideful conversations, unkind words, cursing, vile conversations, suggestive language, indecent language, and obscenities. How many believe that we need to be careful with our language? By the way, the first thing that Peter did, and I'm just going to give you this as a little bonus real quick. The first thing that Peter did when he denied Jesus, you know, he, he, he tells Jesus at the Last Supper, he said, I'll never deny you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, no, Peter, you know, by the time the cock crows three times, you're going to have denied me. He said, no, I'll never do that. And, uh, and of course, he did. And what was the first thing that he did in that moment of weakness, in that moment of backsliding? He began to curse the Bible said that he denied Jesus with cursing. You know, when you begin to struggle with your identity in the Lord, one of the first areas that I've noticed in Christians that begins to slip is their ability to control their tongue, their ability to control their words, their language. And so their speech changes. When the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, when the Lord gets a hold of your life, it'll change the way you treat people, the way you talk to people, the way you talk about people. I can always tell when someone's struggling to be right with the Lord because they talk nice to people when they're in front of them and then they're ugly about people behind their back. That is not what someone who is trying to be like the Lord does. Amen? Holiness of tongue, holiness of conversation. All right, moving quickly. Number four, holiness of the eye. Everyone said the eyes. The eyes. The eye is the gateway to the soul. And it's the primary source of input to the mind. And because of this, because our eyes uh, are the gateway to our heart, our mind, our emotions, our thoughts, which we've already discussed how important our thought life is. Our thought life, you know, the way your thoughts go, that's the way your body is going to go. The way your thoughts go, is that's eventually the direction your actions are going to take. So whatever you're consumed with inwardly, eventually that's going to manifest itself outwardly. And because our eyes are the primary way that we receive information into our mind and into our emotions, we guard our minds, we guard our eyes carefully. We shouldn't read or watch things that are saturated with or glorify sensuality, immorality, or vulgarity. Lust begins, everyone said lust, lust begins with the eyes. And so we guard them carefully. You know, when David committed his 
his terrible sin with Bathsheba. It began with the problem with the eyes. He saw her. She was naked. She's bathing on the roof. He sees her across the way there. He should have been somewhere else doing something else, but instead he was being idle. Instead, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And instead of averting his gaze, see, the first thing David should have done when he saw that there was something inappropriate happening and he saw that there was someone indecent on the roof across the way there, he should have averted his eyes, gone back inside, and said, I need to get away from this. Instead, he allowed his gaze to rest where it should not have rested. And because he continued to look at something he should not have been looking at, eventually he took something he should not have taken. And it created a lifetime of pain for him, really. His children, his own son became sensual. His own son uh, was really perverted. And Absalom became someone who not only tried to overthrow his father, but he did great wickedness in the kingdom and destroyed a lot of people's lives. And, you know, we're, we're easy on David sometimes, but David, even though he repented and thank God that he did and God forgave him, how many know God can forgive anything that you, that you do? God can take your past. He can cover it in his blood. But oftentimes when men, when we don't control our eyes, we create havoc in our children's lives. So you might receive victory over something and thank God for it. But if you set a precedent, wouldn't it be better to set a precedent where your children don't have to be destroyed? You might receive salvation, but sometimes as someone who loves the Lord, you say, I'm going to be extra careful because I have family members that are looking at me and I love them. And I want to make sure that I'm setting an example for them so that they can be strong in the days ahead. So we guard our minds. That's why I don't watch things that other people watch. That's why I don't read just anything that everybody's reading. That's why there's, there's magazines that I would never subscribe to. That's why there's times even in the grocery store, there's, uh, when I'm in the checkout line, uh, you know, there's magazines, and I just say, you know what? I tell my son, we're not going to look over there because that's not what we're going to fill our minds with because we don't want to be thinking about that all day long. How many thinks that would be a good thing to do, to teach our children not to objectify women? Men, we need to teach our sons not to objectify women. You know, culture has objectified women to the point, and pornography has objectified women to the point where some men don't even think of women as people anymore. That's the culture that we live in. And so we are to guard our minds and guard our hearts. We also guard our minds from violence and gore and things that, and fear. The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. I'm often amazed at people who like to... Uh, they like to be filled with fear from movies and things like that because anytime that fear, you're inviting fear into your life, you're inviting something that is contrary to the spirit of God. We should never be inviting fear into our homes, fear into our eyes, fear into our hearts because God wants us to be strong and to not have a spirit of fear that overcomes us. And so we would never glorify anything that has to do with witchcraft or anything that would be contrary to the word of God and the things of God. So we guard our eyes. Everyone said holiness of the eye. All right, I'm running out of time and I have too many points here. So I've got to try to get to number five quickly. All right, we're going to look at appearance, holiness of appearance, adornment, dress, hair, cosmetics, piercing, tattoos. And I've given you some scripture references there. So holiness of appearance, everyone said appearance. Notice we've gone from the inward. Everything we've been talking about up to this point has been inward holiness. And now we're moving to outward holiness. When you have an inward life of holiness, it will move to outward commands of holiness. 
So this includes modesty. Everyone said modesty. Scripture is very clear about modesty. We'll define those a little bit later on a little more clearly. But the scripture uh, gives us the command that we are not to dress in a way that is sensual or draws people to our sexuality, but that we're to dress in a way that's modest. And this is really because scripture also teaches us that we need to be sexually pure. If we're teaching our children to be sexually pure, then we should also dress in a way that is appropriate to purity. And so we want to be modest. We, we reject ornamentation and jewelry. This is a command of Scripture. Scripture is very clear about the rejection of gold and silver ornamentation and costly array, moderation uh, in, in the kind of things that we adorn ourselves with. The Scripture is also very clear about body defacement. So I saw the other day, and, and I, I'm always careful not to jump to extreme examples because sometimes when we teach uh, principles, we jump to the most extreme example. Uh, but uh, I was just in the airport the other day, and I saw a guy sitting next to me, and, you know, tattoos have become extremely popular lately. And, of course, Scripture is clear that uh, we're not to, to mark our bodies with ink. We're not to mar our bodies with tattoos. Now, let me be clear. You know, there are people all over this church who have tattoos. There are people all over this church who, who have done all kinds of things that uh, even far worse than anything that I, we're mentioning here today. But anything can be put under the blood. I want to just clarify that. Anything can be put under the blood. So this is, not a, this is not a condemnation. I'm talking to the church right now. If you're coming in and you're not a part of the church, then you need to know that God can forgive you. God can rearrange you. God can transform you. God can use you. God can anoint you. None of that. All of, all of your past, we all have a past in this church. So all of that is clear. But uh, for the church, you need to understand that if you're living according to the word of God, tattoos are uh, clearly, uh, clearly taught against. So, but I saw this man, he had, a, he had what used to be a tattoo, and uh, what he had done is he had burned it into his skin. And so it was a scar. It was a tattoo scar. And I asked him about it. I couldn't help it. I said, hey, what's going on there? He said, well, uh, he said, this is the new thing that people are doing. Uh, I had, I, they inked the tattoo and then they turn it into a brand, a branding iron. And then I had him just brand it right in. It was deep. It was deep. And he had just branded the tattoo. And so instead of being colored, it was now a scar, a tattoo scar. This is going to be the new direction that we're going. And scripture is clear about cutting ourselves, body defacement, burning tattoos. Scripture is clear that there's to be a distinction between male and female in dress and in conduct and how we carry ourselves, how we walk, how we talk, separation from worldliness. And when we say worldliness, we mean things that are sinful or carnal, anything that promotes lustfulness, anything that causes you to lust is something that you should run from. Everybody okay? Anything that causes you to lust is something that you should run from. Just like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. You should run from it as fast as you can. Because if you don't run, Potiphar's wife's going to get you eventually. So run. Anything. And so if I have to give you a list of things that cause you to lust, I don't know what might cause you to lust. But whatever it is, you certainly shouldn't be watching something that causes you to lust. You shouldn't be reading something that causes you to lust. So anything that's causing you to lust, you need to run from. 
Scripture teaches against colored cosmetics, pants on women, skirts on men. Now, that is a, a cultural stance of the church, cut hair on women and long hair on men. The Scripture is very clear about this in Corinthians 11, that men are to have uh, cut hair, that women are to have long, uncut hair. This is their glory. All right, I'm going to take you to number six, and this is what I'm going to close with for this morning. Number six is the holiness commands regarding stewardship of the body. Everyone said the body. Scripture teaches the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't have time to do this justice, but if you look at the Old Testament, the tabernacle, and you look at the Ark of the Covenant, and you see that God's glory filled the Ark, it filled the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, God's, God's Spirit permeated that place. It was so powerful that they could only enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. And even then it had to be the high priest. And even then he had to go through a massive purification ritual. And if he wasn't what he ought to be when he stepped into the Holy of Holies, he would be struck dead in the presence of God. This is how holy God is. And he certainly wasn't residing inside of people. And when you realize that now in the New Testament age, our bodies become almost like the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy of Holies, where his spirit indwells us, it fills us, and we become that sacred temple, that place that was dedicated, sanctified, and set apart for God. We are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. That changes the way we view ourselves. We're not what we used to be. And so I, I, I can't be uh, like I used to be because now God's Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of me. So this means all kinds of things in my life. I'm not going to use things that harm the body or the temple. I'm not going to uh, use things that cause intoxication or cause addiction. This includes alcohol, tobacco, gluttony. Gluttony. Sometimes churches preach against everything but gluttony. But did you know gluttony is a, uh, also something that the scripture teaches against? Use of illegal drugs. One time, you have to know my grandpa Smith. I'm, you know, my Aunt Sharon's here, and I was thinking, my grandpa, we lost grandpa not too long ago. He was a great, he wasn't a preacher, but he was just a great child of God. And uh, he used to worry about my weight all the time. And uh, even, when I was a, even when I was 12, 13, and, uh, and he, would, he would see me, and he would, he would say, uh, he, if, I, if I'd gained a few pounds, he'd say, Ryan, you do know that uh, gluttony is in the Bible. And I'd say, Grandpa, I don't know what you're trying to say to me right now. Is there <laughs> are, you, are you trying to tell me I'm fat? I don't know what's going on. And he said, oh, no, I'm not calling you fat. I'm just telling you, gluttony is in the Bible. <laughs> he just wanted to make sure that I knew. And I'd say, yes, I understand. And, of course, gluttony needs to be... Gluttony, by the way, is not just being overweight. Gluttony is... Uh, is is, uh, is a very specific issue that we'll talk more about later. Use of illegal drugs is prohibited in Scripture indirectly. The misuse of legal drugs. By the way, you can misuse legal drugs as well. How many know that Christians should abstain from that? We should be careful. I've known, in fact, I've probably known more people destroyed by legal drugs than illegal drugs. Both are rampant, but as a temple of the Holy Ghost, we guard ourselves from that. Because we're a temple of the Holy Ghost, we... We refrain from body piercing, staining, tattooing, cutting, mutilation, and dying. All of this is prohibited in Scripture because our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. All right, I'm out of time. I wish I could keep going. Stand with me.
I, I want to I do this. I want us to close uh, this Bible study. We're going to go into our main service. But I want us to lift up our hands and say, Lord, help me to be an instrument of holiness. Help me to be what you want me to be. Let it be from my heart. Let it be from the inside out. Let that be your prayer. Lord, I pray that you'd purify me, God, not just outwardly. I don't, I don't want to be a Pharisee, Lord. I, I want to be pure on the inside. Let it start in my heart. Let it start in my mind. Lord, I don't want to be a hypocrite, God. I want to be pure before you, clean inwardly and outwardly, God. I want every aspect of my life to be pleasing to you. I want to walk before you, Lord in purity. I want to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting God. I want to love my brother. I want to love my sister. I want to have a heart, Lord, that beats after your heart. I give you praise and I give you glory. And everyone said in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.